Nicholas Bornos of Capital Link, I would like to welcome you to uh, this panel, to this session that deals with cybersecurity. I think the title of it uh, says it all. Cybersecurity, ignore it at your own risk. Actually, you cannot ignore it. Uh, and we have with us a tremendous panel that will take us through the complexities, risks, and solutions uh, regarding cybersecurity, presenting us with points of view of various stakeholders. And uh, I would like to turn over the floor to Julian Clark, partner from Ins and Co, who is going to moderate the panel uh, and who is going to introduce the, uh, the panelists. Julian, thank you, but I will say a quick thank you to Dimitri, to Captain Thomas Brown, to Joe Hughes and to Weston uh, Hacker. So thank you from me, Julian, the floor is yours. Nicholas, thank you, and thank you to Capital Link for the opportunity for all of us to be with you today. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever it is that you might be uh, tuning in uh, to listen to this webinar, which, as uh, Nicholas says, and I endorse his words, I think is a, not only a fascinating subject, but an extremely important one. Um, Cybersecurity uh, and the exposure to our maritime sector, uh, myth project fear or fact? Uh, well, that's some of the things we're going to be, look, be looking at today with this panel. And I'm joined uh, today uh, by Dimitris uh, Patrikios, uh, the uh, Chief Executive Officer of Kiklides uh, Maritime Corporation, uh, Weston Hecker, who is uh, the lead cyber evangelist and ethical hacker of uh, Mission Secure in the United States. Uh, Joe Hughes, uh, the chairman and CEO of the American Club, and finally, uh, Captain Tom Brown, uh, the CEO of uh, Shoreline. And what we're aiming to do in the way we're going to run this webinar today uh, is I will give, continue to give this brief uh, introduction. I'm then going to go to each of the panel members uh, to say uh, something about their views in relation to cyber and the maritime sector. Uh, and then we are going to invite questions. So please do use the uh, Q&A uh, function in this Zoom call. Uh, I will pick up on those questions uh, and we'll be able to direct them to the panel. So we'd like to make this presentation as interactive as possible. So over the course of the next 45 minutes, we want to look at issues such as, is the threat real? Uh, how exposed are we as a maritime sector? How can we deploy best defense in relation to cyber attack? And how can we ensure and mitigate risk? Uh, and I'd like to hand over now to Dimitris uh, for you, so for you to uh, give your views on these issues. Dimitris, thank you. Thank you, Julian, uh, for the introduction. And I would like also to thank uh, Capital Link and personally Nicholas for providing me with the opportunity to participate in such a prestigious uh, conference for such an interesting topic. Living in the fourth uh, industrial revolution, global shipping and general maritime sector increasingly depend on digitalization, integration of various operations and automation of processes. From these developments, new opportunities arise by improving our efficiency, but at the same time, we face cyber threats of various impacts from uh, external forces. Cyber technologies have become, have become essential even critical, not just to the operation and the management of numerous systems and processes on board the ships, but also for the safety, the security and protection of the ship, the crew, the cargo and the marine environment. 
These technologies have integrated on board uh, information technology from the one side, which is their personal computers, laptops, tablet devices, servers, and networking components such as routers and switches, and operational technology, OET as it is called, uh, which uh, comprise of the control systems, the sensors support, actuators, radars, and this is done through networking and connectivity to the internet between the IT and the OET. These shipboard control systems contain significant levels of automation to perform complex functions such as navigation and propulsion control. The purpose of employing automated systems have been to reduce costs, but at the same time to improve performance by analyzing vast amount of data and continuously exchange with the vessels. While automation offers excellent benefits, it also introduces a set of corresponding cybersecurity related risks. Consider, for example, that the global marine time, uh, maritime industry systems, the, the systems in the maritime industry depend on satellite navigation, especially the global positioning system, the GPS. Of particular concern is the relative ease by which these systems can be jammed, meaning through denial of reception by competing signal or spoofed, which means a deliberate introduction of a false signal. Satellite navigation is a vital part of a wide variety of the shipboard systems, including the automatic identification system that is critical for navigation uh, safety. In the World Economic Forum's uh, Global Risks Report in 2020, we must mention that the, in the fifth uh, as a top risk uh, issue was the cyber attacks on critical infrastructure with a reference to shipping. In another forum, in July 2020, it was said that the cyber attacks on the maritime industry's operational technology systems, the OETs, as, it, as they are called, have increased by 900% over the, over the previous three years. In 2017, we had 50 significant uh, OET hacks, and in 2020, we expect to have more than 500 major cybersecurity breaches, with substantially more going unreported. Uh, it is of great concern the fact that in many cases, when shipping stakeholders discover deliberate disruptions in their systems, there are many incentives uh, to keep that information quiet, mainly because of the maritime industry not being eager to reveal the weaknesses and vulnerabilities of their products or services. What are the implications for our business, for our, for our industry? Current uh, threats implications of maritime-based cyber attacks include business disruption, first of all, financial losses, we may have damage to our reputation, damage to goods and the environment. We may encounter high incident response costs. And finally, fines or legal issues. How these cyber attacks target shipping, target uh, our industry, the shipping? There is a variety of methods that exist for those who seek to target the shipping industry. Weston may explain us later on this. Uh, one is the extortion, ransomware for allowing you allowing the vessel to restore operations. We have digital piracy by shutting down the vessel. Espionage for gaining sensitive information that can be used by the competition. Defamation by causing security non-compliance, uh, which may delay the vessel or causing disruption. Subversions of the supply chain, as we recently saw in the United States uh, with a pipeline uh, which was hacked. Terrorism and activism for conveying a message. However, in some instances, the cyber threats are not so complicated and uh, well-organized. There are several incidents uh, where malicious software 
was introduced to ship systems unintentionally, often by third parties, to check or even update specific bridge or engine equipment. So we have the human factor here, which is the greatest cyber vulnerability in our days. And consequently, we should focus our cybersecurity measures on reducing the human error. We must not forget that the system is not stronger than its weakest link. How the regulators now and the other stakeholders in the industry reacted to protect society from the cyber attacks in shipping. It is well known that in our industry, safety and marine pollution issues have always been the main drivers in regulations of maritime operations. And now that navigation systems have been increasingly reliant on cyber technologies to improve the effectiveness and safety of navigation, the need for safeguarding shipping from cyber threats has become priority. The IMO has already taken action and regulated to include cyber risk management and the cyber security into our ISM by the 1st of January 2021. Additionally, uh, the tanker operators like ourselves had to adapt uh, well before our management systems to Kim's requirements uh, as they introduced in the tanker management self-assessment, the TMSA as it's called, a new chapter, chapter number 13 on maritime security. Main industry bodies like Intertanko, Intercargo, BIMCO, PNI clubs, classification societies have published numerous best practices and guidelines for addressing the cyber threats and improve our awareness. The classification societies provide a cyber notation as well but this is the first of many steps that should be followed to protect the systems on board during the new building stage. In the other side, how we protect our offices? Uh, we use many, many, many ways to do this. Uh, so far, uh, they are successful. Uh, I, I mentioned uh, as an example, the intrusion detection and intrusion prevention systems, encrypted uh, VN, VPN communication, next generation and updated uh, antivirus, uh, email security, regular third-party penetration tests, and real-time hiking simulation on a regular basis, as well as testing the business continuity plans and the disaster recovery systems, uh, their readiness and their functionality. To appreciate the importance of office uh, protection, we must remind our audience with the recent big, big cases of cyber attacks. The first one was in June 2017 uh, on the MERSC, and then after one year in July 2018 on the Costco shipping lines in the United States, uh, two months after on October 2018 in Australia, uh, they hacked uh, the Ostal, which is uh, an Australian based ferry defense uh, shipbuilder. In August 2020, uh, Carnival Corporation uh, was a target as well, in which the cyber criminals managed to download certain data files related to guests and employees' personal data. And the, the, the recent one, the Colonial Pipeline in May, uh, the, which pipeline connects Texas to New Jersey and delivers about 45% of gasoline used in the US East Coast. The hackers locked up their computer systems for extortion purposes. And they, they, the payments were in Bitcoins. And yes, they read on the New York Times uh, that uh, the FBI managed to take some of the money back uh, uh, of this. And finally, I would like to conclude how we should approach cybersecurity issue. Uh, cybersecurity is a multi-aspect concept, including not only technical tools, policies, guidelines, best practices, risk man management approaches, but also 
behavioral and cultural aspects. We need to shift people's mindset towards IT security. It is not only the responsibility of the ICT departments and simply done for compliance purposes. It must be in our culture. As SIP managers, we need to approach cybersecurity as an integral part of overall safety management. Response and recovery plans should be in place, updated and tested frequently. We must realize that there is no zero cyber risk environment today. We live and operate in a cyber environment with interconnected networks. And for our efficient cyber protection, we must have a holistic approach and a comprehensive understanding of the interconnected systems and the threats involved. We cannot ignore the cyber risks, Julian. We must live with, with and be chronic unease of the cyber threats in our daily operations. Thank you. Dimitris, thank you. Um, Yes, I mean, I completely support and endorse what you've said. Um, you know, that figure, the 900% increase on the tax on operational technology over the last three years, a 400% increase on cyber attacks over the last 12 months, that staggering figure of the increase of major cyber security breaches uh, since 2020. And you are completely correct when you say what we see is very much the tip of the iceberg, uh, the threat levels and the unreported uh, issues being far wider. And then I also agree with you, we need a multi-aspect uh, approach and to develop a culture because for the first time in our sector, we're not just dealing with a maritime centric risk. So it's not just about uh, ensuring the integrity of a hatch cover or looking at in, in, entrance into an enclosed space or even the issues of piracy. This is something which is global where our sector is being affected by activators that have nothing else to do with maritime save for seeing it as a target and at that point what i'd like to do is bring on board western um i've had the honor and pleasure to work with western and mission secure for about the last 12 months uh, mission secure uh, in my view have developed the leading technology for active uh, cyber defense uh starting off on a contract for the u.s air force moving on to u.s navy and then working with the oil and gas sector and now together with us working for the shipping sector. And Weston is absolutely at the sharp end of this in that he is, he operates in the, the dark lands of the dark web and, and the, the, the hackers that we're all uh, trying to protect ourselves against, but he is the white knight. He is the ethical hacker uh, that knows what they are doing, but can tell us how to protect ourselves. Weston, You've heard what Demetrius has said. We've spoken before. Can you just let people know, you know your experience? Just this, this, this issue when people say to us, there isn't a risk, it's project fear. I've got a ship where my, my IT and my OT is completely air-gapped. I've got a ship where you know, my technology isn't, isn't brand new. It's an older ship. Therefore, I'm not at risk. What's your, what's your response to that? Um, that that's uh, definitely not true. So it's something where, you know, over the years, I've, you know, I've been doing pen testing professionally for 19 years. And, you know, I've been specializing in uh, ICS systems, offshore oil rigs, ships, things along those lines the last six, seven years. So it's something where I have that same feeling that I had back in 1999 or 2000. Now for the shipping industry, I feel like it's a little bit behind the ball on that uh, as, far as far as security goes. And that's what everybody thought back then, too. Like, you know, my computer is behind a firewall. They didn't know that firewalls could be exploited and things along those lines. And with a lot of the manuals that are appearing online for specific shipping systems, 
Um, I found an Apache, a module for an Apache attack helicopter on eBay yesterday. So I, you know, you know, like that kind of stuff is ending up on these uh, free markets. It's not, you know, outlandish to believe that, you know, some ship systems will end up out there and things along those lines. So, and as people get those materials and those devices into their hands, um, they develop exploits for them. And uh, just with the additional information, um, you know, and just uh, out of work programmers, um, you know, COVID's hit a lot of companies hard and the dot-com boom was the first time when it, you know, expanded into that um, method where, you know, all these out of program or out of work programmers started developing malware. And a lot of them are going for those ransomware type systems that you were talking about. So, but yeah. And in relation to that issue, we've spoke about this before where, um, you know, people argue that they're, you know their their OT is so separate from their IT, and and you know how, how, how you know how could you possibly get onto our OT system through our IT? Do you know, just tell us a bit about how that works? Yeah, there's a couple of real world examples I can think of that come to mind for on ships. Um, I've gotten into OT networks um, from wireless printers or wireless environments and VLANs that were set up improperly. You know, I was able to hop, the, do a thing called VLAN hopping to get into the ICS network. So if there's not some physical separation in some cases, it's um, pretty simple to actually, uh, for a skilled attacker to, you know, uh, get onto actual ship systems and things along those lines. And the same goes for the printer. Like, there's been several instances where, you know, we've actually commandeered a printer loaded an operating system out of that printer and that printer becomes a wireless node on the network. You know, it was once used for printing. Um, you know, there was a power company, an example that we did where to basically turn that printer into a keyboard. So that computer that it was plugged into, uh, you basically flash that device over to a keyboard so you could put input keystrokes. So yeah, that's, it's not as separate as people think. I have yet to uh, be on site with a customer where, um, you know, kind of where it come, like what they say their level of security is, is, um, you know, what they fully imply. So it's definitely something that uh, taking into considerations, you know, things that bridge those networks or those, they call pivot points in the attack world. But, you know, uh, you wouldn't believe how many times a battery backup system just happened to be plugged into both networks and it was vulnerable to an attack or, you know, something along those lines. There's always devices that allow for pivoting into other portions of the network, so. Uh, and Weston, when, you know, once you're there, uh, once you've managed to get through a, you know, a battery system or, a, you know, the the captain or a crew members got their own laptop on board and somehow that's connected to the Wi-Fi network and through that you're into the OT. What what can you do? I mean, what could you, what can you do to a ballast system, uh, a, a rudder, steering gear, uh, disk navigation? What, what kind of control can you take? Oh, yeah, pretty much anything you could do from the HMI, which is kind of scary. Like, so, you know, if somebody wants to shut something off or make it look like something's full or dump something in some cases, you know, um, they basically have the exact same control as the engineers. And with those manuals floating out there now, people have an understanding. It's no security through obscurity anymore. It's not obscure for somebody to know how some of those ship systems work. So it is something where once somebody commandeers one of those HMI systems, those human machine interfaces, that's when somebody can, you know, do exactly what a ship person does. And in some cases they can do elevated privileges of it. A lot of those web apps were written you know, nine, 10 years ago. Um, and um, it's amazing how, you know, to have a button non-accessible by a normal user, it just doesn't have the reference for it on the screen. But if a person, you know, does, does a man in the middle, they can actually send commands that aren't even on the screen of that ship, say HMI. So, 
And some of them are functionality, some of them are testing, some of them are meant, you know, for the actual engineers when they shipped the ship, it wasn't ever intended for to, to be displayed on a user's HMI. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Weston, while while you've been speaking, I've been watching uh, uh, Tom Tom and uh, Joe becoming paler and paler. Uh, Joe, from from a from a P and I club's perspective, hearing the kind of things that you've just heard from Weston, uh, looking at the fact that we're seeing on the main insurance markets the introduction of LMA five four zero two five four zero three, the exclusions and the endorsements. And a lot of the international group clubs already coming out and saying that they will reserve or exclude cover wholesale if it looks like the claim has originated from a cyber risk. What is the position of, of, of a, somebody, chief executive of a P&I club in relation to all this? Well, I, you know, I, we were talking, weren't we, uh, Julian, a little early before we came on air. And we were reminiscing about the days when we started in this business of uh, the telex machine. And I suspect that a lot of people actually listening in today will not know what a telex machine is, wouldn't know what they looked like, or much less how to use them. Um, clearly, over the years, and my goodness how far we've come over the more than 40 years I've been in this business, uh, in terms of the immense convenience that modern technology provides in terms of communications and connectivity and so on. But of course, the dark side of that um, has become ever more uh, serious from um, the, the, for the entirety of the business world and indeed the entirety of, of you know, experience in the human condition generally, quite honestly. I do congratulate Demetrius on such a, an excellent uh, overview of the perspective of this in the context of ship operations as such. And indeed, the sort of statistics that we're hearing in terms of the uh, numbers of um, cyber attacks aimed at maritime enterprises these days is, is a source of considerable concern, obviously, to the marine insurance industry at large. Uh, you mentioned, Julian, that um, there are uh, general exclusions and have been for some time, more in relation to the property insurance side of uh, maritime enterprise, um, LMA 5403 and 5402, um, the CL380 that was introduced, I think, back in 2003 in regard to cyber, cyber attacks and the exclusion. I mean, it is possible to buy them back, I think, to some extent um, in the markets. Um, but, but in contrast to that, as a matter of general principle, um, international group clubs uh, have not had a general exclusion of cyber um, claims. Um, save where those claims might arise from an incident of war or terrorism. Uh, and that has been a characteristic, I think, of group cover for some years. Um, clearly, with the rise in the risk of these circumstances, um, the matter has perhaps become uh, further up the agenda, as it were, of uh, international group clubs, and more particularly in regard to the reinsurers um, that uh, ultimately are involved in the larger claims in particular uh, that, uh, that the clubs might experience. Uh, I think the, the general view is that yes, these are uh, risks of very considerable magnitude potentially. I think it's fair to say, at least certainly in the American clubs experience, that we haven't had um, any significant um, level of exposure to them uh, so far, although 
with the rise in the numbers of recorded incidents and the manner in which you know there seems to be a tsunami of all this at present uh, and, and and is now you know a daily feature of regular reporting in the in the press means that underwriters will be looking very closely um, at their exposures going forward uh, more perhaps than they might have been inclined to do even two or three years ago however um, I, I do believe that the way in which the clubs are organized and the way in which they respond to the maritime community whom they represent and who are, of course, in the context of the mutual system of governance, very much represented uh, on their boards and set policy and so on, they will do their very best to provide the uh, greatest levels of cover that are realistically available. And in that respect, I think the resourcefulness of group clubs in particular um, will be will be made evident uh, as this subject develops uh, over the months and years ahead. But it is an issue. Marine insurers are very aware of it. Um, but I'm sure that all of us, particularly as I say on the mutual side, will join forces in a way to provide the very best cover that we can to a common threat uh, that affects all the shipping community across the world, and increasingly so. Uh, you know, g given the parameters of it as, it, it as as it increases over the years ahead. Thanks, Joe. I mean, uh, perhaps at that point I can bring in uh, Tom. Uh, Tom, I mean, your perspective uh, from Shoreline and also as a master mariner. And one one question we've had in from the floor is, what do you believe is the class society's role in improving cybersecurity in the shipping industry? Um, Tom, could I ask you to pick up on on those points that Joe's made? From a general insurance perspective, a cyber insurance perspective, and then also perhaps address that class question. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, and thank you for the opportunity uh, from Capital Link to speak. And, you know, I have to say, I think Dimitri's presentation was, um, was excellent. And um, certainly from my experience working here with Shoreline, we've been the providers of maritime cyber insurance now for three years. And Certainly, the insight that Dimitri provide is the exception rather than the rule in our in, in our experience. Um, many of the uh, many of the ship ship owners application forms that we we receive for our policies of cyber insurance are incomplete, and they have gaps in their security which are fundamental to uh, the sort of elementary levels of cyber security. For in many respects, I mean, many many of the applications don't have multi-factor authentication, for example, which is a, a minimum requirement for, for the provision of cyber security. I think, um, I think Andy Grove, the, the sort of founding partner of Intel and uh, former CEO said it best. He said, success breeds complacency, complacency breeds failure, and only the paranoid will survive. And I think that's analogous really to the situation many ship owners find themselves in today. They, they measure success by the fact that they haven't been hit yet. That gives a false sense of security and a degree of complacency. And the reality is only the paranoid amongst them will survive. And I might suggest that Dimitri might have a, may have a, a healthy level of paranoia, which is a good thing in my opinion. Um, you know, unless you, you are paranoid and you have a degree of meticulous introspection about continual cyber risk uh, assessment from which will flow the implementation of your cyber security measures and your risk transfer measures, which together go towards uh, improving a ship owner's cyber resilience, will you survive and prosper in this internet age? 
Another thing Andy Grove said was that all companies in one form or another will become internet companies. And, and they will, it's fundamental. I mean, in, in the ship owning communities, there is um, different degrees of exposure and vulnerabilities about uh, amongst the different classes of ship owner organization. You know, so for example, some of the examples that Dimitri gave around the, the high profile attacks, <clears throat> it's not surprising they hit those companies with dependencies on internet related services. So, you know, online booking systems for containerized cargoes, um, cruise companies that have a high level of personal identifiable information or valuable credit card information. I mean, these sorts of companies are highly vulnerable to attack. And, you know, I think, I think in terms of um, when we look at the insurance from our perspective, Far and out there, the biggest, I mean, we can talk about the exclusion of silent cyber risk in property and, and liability policies, but as Joe said, you know, there hasn't really been any marked cases to date of that type of case that has created a CTL or a significant third party liability. I mean, there may be some spectra of that around, you know, the, the immobilization of a ship, dare I say, in a choke point as we've just seen with the ever given, right? We don't know the causes of that. One would assume that it was not related to any sort of cyber incident, but if Western says you can hack a ship at a critical navigational moment in a choke point, for example, and you could black that ship out, then what sort of situation might arise as a consequence of that scenario? But I mean, far and, from our perspective, far and you know, way out in front, just way, way out in front are the two issues really, which are, ransomware. I mean, if you look at the statistics from a company in the US called Coveware that monitor ransomware payments in the insurance industry, the average ransom pay, uh, ransomware payment or ransom payment in, the, in, in 2018 was $7,000. In 2019, that rose to $41,000. And in 2020, that rose to $200,000. I mean, one of the ransomware syndicates gave up and they retired in 2019, um, having made $2 billion. And, and you know, in their farewell, farewell message, they say, we are living proof that you can do evil and get away with it scot-free. I mean, that is the reality of the situation. I mean, from the insurance perspective, the markets are contracting. You know, you have, you have insurers, we, you know, we are... We are an insurer we, 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 under 100% quota share reinsurance contracts with A-rated reinsurers in Lloyds, right? But you know the availability of that capacity is becoming constrained. There is not an abundance of capacity willing to step in. And, and really, this is my biggest fear for ship owners because in my personal experience, I've been sort of, I'd like to say I've been at the cutting edge of innovative insurance products for the last 15, 20 years. Ship owners tend to be slow adopters of new innovative insurance products to provide additional financial risk transfer out of their organizations. They tend to back themselves, which is commendable. They tend to look at the ways in which they can mitigate their exposures through practical means, which again is, is perfectly commendable. But I think with the asymmetry of this risk, the idea that you can, you can plug all your ports, that you can shore up your, your defenses, that you can evade attack forevermore is probably quite fanciful. And I think, you know, if, if you're sensible and honest about the situation in which you find yourself, you have to have a good, long, hard look at, okay, what happens? What happens if I get a call at 4 a.m. 
from my IT manager and says, excuse me, Dimitri, excuse me, Tom, they're in. What do you mean they're in? Well, they got in and by the way, we can't use any of our computer systems. And by the way, they've got access to all of our data and it's now encrypted. And by the way, they want $10 million from us. I can assure you that the, 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 the blood will drain out of your face. <laughs> you'll go wet and clammy and you'll think, right, what do we do now? And I, and I really think that those companies that haven't thought, thought that far ahead have a degree of vulnerability that if I was sitting on their boards, I wouldn't wish to assume. I mean, we, we talk about the, the multifactored response to that sort of situation. There's not one company you can retain that can cover all of the multiple facets that you need to deal with that situation. And the idea that you could do that internally without any, having any track record on how to respond to that in terms of the ransom negotiation, the OFAC issues around ransom payments, um, the establishment of Bitcoin wallet to, wallet to pay the ransom, the forensics needed to establish the extent to which the systems are being corrupted, the encryption around your data, how you're gonna decrypt that data, how you're gonna establish whether that data has been sold already on the dark web, the extent to which you are already exposed. How are you gonna decipher the companies that approach you and say, we can help you out with this. We can de-encrypt your data. They probably can't, but they're probably gonna negotiate separately with your ransomers for a higher fee and then charge you something similar to get your data back, which is you could have already got back directly yourself. So it's complex. It's very, very complex. And you know those companies who are paranoid, who do the right thing, who improve their resilience through through security measures, well-considered security measures and invest in those measures, invest in training and also invest in financial risk transfer are probably more likely to survive in, in what is becoming a very a sort of a badlands of the internet world, as, as, if I may say. Thanks, thanks, Tom. Um, I'm mindful that we, I think this would be fascinating and I, I think it's quite apparent we could we could go on for a long time talking about this, this debate. Um, we have about 10 minutes left. There, there was that question, and perhaps I can throw this at you, Dimitri. We, we've all heard about the, about, you know, the kind of problems and exposures we've got. What should, what should areas of our industry be doing to assist us? And there was this question from the floor about the role of classification societies. And I know that working with uh, Western and MSI, one of the things that people have said to us is, look, you know, you MSI have come up with this solution uh, which helps us protect against cyber attack. But, you know, we've got to be very careful about what we uh, bring onto our vessels because we we mustn't compromise classification requirements and trying to get classification approval on some kind of cyber defense is just a nightmare. Do you think, Dimitri, do you think the class society should be doing more? Yes, uh, I would like to start from what Thomas said, which put the things in the in very right perspective. The, the, the enemy is not visible. We cannot see the enemy in, in, in many instances. And, uh, and uh, working on the cybersecurity should not be considered as a cost, but as an investment, as Thomas said, because uh, we invest uh, our protection, we invest in our protection. And this is uh, related also to what the classification societies should do in order to protect the new buildings. The, the new buildings uh, we, built, we have built uh, recently, the last two years, about uh, 16, uh, 16 vessels, 16 vessels, uh, eight VLCCs, six uh, Suez Maxis, and two VLCCs are under construction. And 
most of the systems are automated systems and most of the systems they, they can uh, can be connected uh, with the office in order to have exchange of data for for the protection of all these things uh, the, the the shipyards should cooperate with the manufacturers they must bring the things uh, the, the, the 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 protocols of communication uh, should uh, somehow coordinate it and the classification societies play a very important role in order to put the rules uh, for these uh, the shipyards and the manufacturers uh, to work together to, to set the rules, the minimum rules of uh, coordination and cooperation for our cybersecurity and to, to deliver a product to, our, to the operators, to the managers, to the owners, which will be uh, cyber, cyber proof, let's say. Thanks, Dimitri. I mean, I, again, I agree with you and, and the point that Tom uh, raised and Joe about this multifaceted area that we're involved in. In my position as the chair of the CMI Working Group on Cybercrime, and one of the things we're looking at is whether international convention for shipping uh, needs to be amended or developed to address cyber risk. Uh, I'm also fortunate enough, if that's the right word, word to sit on the anti-terrorism, uh, international anti-terrorism forum. And there's a great fear in that forum from international governments across the world that uh, terrorism and terrorists will start to target the uh, maritime sector uh, in order to fulfill geopolitical aims and of course even we saw that uh, even going back to the Paris instance in the Gulf of Aden where we saw pirates hiring hackers to identify the most identifiable and vulnerable targets in the Gulf of Aden so there is this 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 huge area uh, and I think the other thing Dimitri that you uh, opened up and this is this is a whole other webinar but he's the whole question about data ownership you know in circumstances where uh, there is live communication between an engine manufacturer and a vessel. And of course, the engine manufacturer is saying, look, I, I want to be able to monitor my engines so that I can improve my design. But they're obtaining data that belongs to you, the ship owner. And they're then using that for their customer. Well, who owns that data? Who's got the right of that data ownership? This is very good. Sorry for interrupting. But uh, recently, we had a discussion with an engine manufacturer who, who asked us to pay for the data that we provide. They they asked to, to 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 for us to pay for this, and it's something that it, it was taken. I was thinking in the future we will be, we will have also not only physical assets but also data assets. And how who is the owner of these assets? Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. And again, as if I'm a if I'm a criminal and I want to uh, earn some money uh, in the way that Tom was talking about, as well as ransomware. Well, I know that shipping is an incredibly competitive business. If I can obtain data from your fleet, I can sell that to a competitor. Um, Joe, um, further observations for you as we get to the end of this. Well, I uh, think, yes, I, well, I, I do have um, a couple of observations, actually. First of all, we talked about culture a little earlier. I think that Demetrius mentioned that, you know, this was fundamental to uh, the, the way in which cybersecurity ought to be addressed within companies. And I think that's vitally important. The, the more people actually realize that this is an issue, both ashore and afloat, then uh, I, I think, you know, the more progress is going to be made to forestall these attacks. I mean, the ISN code obviously was amended as of January the 1st this year uh, in regard to recommended guidelines and so on uh, for cybersecurity uh, compliance, uh, which is very important. That's a step forward. Um, as Demetrius also mentioned, there have been 
various initiatives from people like the ICS, you know, guidelines on cybersecurity in conjunction with Intertanko and various other World Shipping Council and others, which is, again, very important. The international group clubs have been talking about this for some years, obviously, as part of their loss prevention initiatives. And all that must absolutely continue. There is another dimension to this, actually, that's linked to another, you know, uh, pressing subject of the hour, and that is ESG and sustainability. It seems to me that um, the, the, the preservation of strong cybersecurity um, is part of the ESG sustainability equation, probably in the governance sector, uh, but, you know, equally in regard to the protection of the environment, uh, you know, because a, a, a major cybersecurity attack on a ship uh, could create an environmental disaster, clearly, uh, if the vessel lost power or steering, what have you. Uh, so all that links in as well. And the ESG takes a larger, and sustainability generally, takes a larger place in the collective thinking of our industry, then cybersecurity is gonna be very much part of that too. The two are related, I suggest. But uh, yeah, I, I, this is not going away. And um, uh, it will have to be very much part of central thinking for the maritime community and their underwriters uh, over the years ahead. There we go. Sorry, I was muted. Uh, Joe, thank you. Well, as we unfortunately have to draw to a close, uh, Eleni and Nicholas, I think uh, uh, I, I could congratulate our panel on doing an excellent pitch uh, for the next Capital Link sessions on uh, data ownership and ESG. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we, we could all we'd all be delighted to join you on on that subject. And, and before I hand over to Nicholas to completely close, uh, Weston, could I ask you for just one? Closing all interested in cyber, what would you say to them? Um, yeah, just know what's on your network. Um, so any plans moving forward, um, you know how to at least what you're dealing with um, would be one of the biggest things. One of the biggest takeaways. It's also free to kind of take that inventory and find out what's on that network. Um, that's one of the biggest steps. All of the processes that you're going to do in the next few years are going to require you to know exactly what's on the networks and have a better understanding of that. So that would probably be my comment on that. Thanks, Weston. Nicholas, let me hand back to you to conclude. We'll have a couple more minutes if you want uh, to, um, I mean, we can close, uh, but if you have something else you would like to uh, mention before we go. Uh, let, me, let me come back to my panel then. Is there anything further? We have no more questions in the chat. Uh, anything further, uh, Tom, Demetrius, uh, in conclusion? I mean, I what I would just just say to to any ship owner representatives listening, you know, we've been in this space of cyber insurance for three years now. Um, the market has never hardened to the extent it has in recent times as a consequence of just a deluge of claims. Um, you know, if you're going to think about buying cyber insurance, you should think about it soon. We've just reinsured our reinsurance contract. We saw a 30% increase on last year's uh, rates. Um, many of the insurers are now stepping away from um, cyber crime, so it's very hard to even get a limit to insure for diversionary payment risk. Um, their appetite for, for the payment of ransoms is becoming constrained. Um, and I think that if, if you, I mean, back in the day, you know, the origin of the PI clubs, you know, ship owners got themselves together to create mutuals for fi their financial survival. 
And you know, this this risk, this this sort of um, esoteric, not, well, not esoteric, but this intangible risk to your company. And you need to make an assessment of how long you can survive without your computer systems. And you know, because that can that can bring a company to its knees. And at the end of the day, um, I think that all feeds into the decision around how you can improve your resilience with both security and financial risk transfer. But as I would say, you know, it, the time to adopt is now, it's not to defer adoption of, of the expert support you can garner from a well-considered and well-supported uh, cyber insurance product. I mean, I would say that I sell them, but I, I completely believe in, in, in that as a, a loss prevention method. Thanks, Tom. And just very briefly, uh, Nicholas, just that reminds me of a conversation I had with the Chief Security Officer at Merck following their being caught up in the non-petty attack, where he said, we couldn't even access our telephone tree. Because even our emergency tree of, right, who do you call this now casualty? What do we do? Was on the system. System was locked out. Yeah. Julian, I have one comment, if, if I have the time that uh, in, a part of the big things that we discuss here, we must not forget that the cyber, uh, the cyber issues affect also the life at sea and uh, specifically the crews. Mm -hmm. On board the ships, uh, we must also work uh, with the crews to train them to, to make them aware of the, of the risks. Uh, and uh, we, wor we want the cyber wellness uh, of, the, of, of the people, uh, which is a very critical component of their overall health and personal well being, we want uh, satisfied and safe uh, seafarers on board the ships. And uh, sometimes the people are distracted from the safety because uh, they have they have done some mistakes with their their, their, their private phones. They have uh, disclosed uh, some uh, things that were not uh, permitted. And the people on board the ships uh, somehow uh, the safety is not the main concern because other problems related to cybersecurity. That's my last comment, which for another, <laughs> let's say, webinar uh, on the cybersecurity. Thank you. We are about to exceed our time, but I have a question very quickly, if you allow me to ask. If you comply with the IMO guidelines for cybersecurity, are you okay? Are you, is that enough? Because I get the impression from our discussion that we are really talking not about letter compliance, but about really being prepared in a much bigger way. Right? I have I have mentioned uh, in, in my presentation that it's not only a thing of compliance. We must create a culture, and we must change our mindset to the, on the cybersecurity. It must be something that we should appreciate the possible threats in front of us, and be part of our safety culture. Demetrius and Nicholas, I totally endorse that a tick box approach to this risk is not only insufficient, it's dangerous. Um, you have to go far further. Compliance is a step in the right direction, but it is not the solution to this risk. But we do have a history in shipping where we do defer to regulatory oversight and we, we don't have a good history of industry regulating industry. It tends to be the regulators who force convention upon us to make us do things that we should be doing anyway, in my view. So I think, you know, as you say, it's cultural. I think, you know, enlightened ship owners like Dimitri, they get it, they understand it. They're at the forefront of, of securing their, their, their companies. But there's many ship owning companies who, you know, unless they've got the regulation forced upon them, they probably won't act in a way they should. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing active 
pressure coming from port state control in the US now, forcing companies to demonstrate that they, that they are safe from a cyber perspective to enter their ports. Uh, similar initiatives are now being borne out by the Australian uh, Port State Control Authority. So you'll see these external pressures being forced upon ship owners to do the right thing, as it were, in terms of the protection of their assets and in turn the protection of the environment and the, and the safety of their personnel. So it's an inevitability in my point of view. Thanks, Tom. Well, let, me, let me thank you all because we are now at uh, we're about four minutes late. So thank you very much for, uh, for a very interesting discussion. Thank you, um, Julian, Dimitri, uh, Thomas, Weston, and, and Joe. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nicholas. Thank, th th thanks, Nicholas. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.